I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Dustin Kosky. And I'm Am Kosky. And we love to watch. We love to watch The Jacks versus the Nerds, a laugh a minute 80s comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, welcome. Welcome to our podcast for, I think, I want to say, like, seventh and sixth time, uh, respectively. Something like that. They've been on almost as much as It just as feels us. like it. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, this is the... Yeah, it does. <laughs> it feels like more, to be honest. Uh, this is my second week uh, on the podcast not being replaced by anyone. So, that's exciting. <laughs> I got a new streak going myself. Um, and, you know, I feel like my brain's slowing down even more. I've definitely been shuffling around, but I'm pretty good. Uh, plus, a lot of quiet on my block, uh, now that all my neighbors have mysteriously vanished. Everyone loves to just pack up their kids and start them in a new school district right before Christmas. Yeah, people, people usually move right before Thanksgiving, you know, that cliche. I wouldn't worry about it. Don't. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a big deal. That means more parking for you. Yeah. No, that's ideal. And also, a lot of times, now, Peter, you, you, I don't know if you've had family over for Thanksgiving at your house before, but a lot of times when I, we're going to have people over our house, we look at our house, we look at our table that we've set, and we go, there's not fucking enough room for all this. Let's buy a new house. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty common. So, I, I just think that. You know, we, we have a house, we have a neighborhood with houses from the 40s. They're small houses. I'm assuming everyone, uh, I'm not going to say simultaneously because it like was slowly over the course of a week, but I they all made the same decisions and their houses, I don't know if they sold, but they are they are vacant. <laughs> I mean, don't go in there, but they're, they're Maybe vacant. Maybe they got an early start of the holiday season and bought those new uh, volume cubes for their children. You know those uh, 10 by 10 boxes that you can't open and you can't put anything inside and uh, – the Yeah, that was the lamest loot crate ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know how sometimes you look at your house and you're like, I would just like something that takes up space because I have so much of it. Yeah, so people are just giving up space. That's the hottest new holiday item. It's it's like a Pokemon or something. Now they're moving into abandoned mines. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't go to the don't go to the mines either. Yeah, did your did your neighbors happen to mention them going to an abandoned mine? They said they were getting out of town and to not call or look for them. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, is it still an abandoned mine once you make it a home? No, it's I not. Mean, it's really these are the questions. I'll leave that to the philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> the dreamers, the schemers. Maybe start a fucking podcast with Aristotle. You'll get that. Answer. <laughs> uh, anyways, so Dustin Adam, welcome. Uh, this is the first time that you have uh, been on a podcast since the launch of of your competing podcast. I gotta tell you, so you've released one episode. 
Uh, it's it's 20 minutes long. I think that's a direct comment on our podcast. And uh, neither Peter and I have been asked to be a guest. So what the fuck is up with that? Well, actually, I am looking for a voice actor for episode two because um, the our first one bailed. And I'm really so excited to record the second one that if you'd be willing to do it cheap, I could have one of the two of you do it for no, us. No, I – so it's a narrative podcast. That really sucks that your voice actor laughed because he was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Real talk. That, that's, that's a bummer. Um, oh, no, no, no. It was going to be like Pseudopod where they have a different reader every oh, episode. Perfect. Uh, but I – no, I want your I want your podcast to continue as is with uh, someone, a voice actor – reading uh the narrative that you've written and i would like to be a guest on that podcast and really disrupt the flow the tone <laughs> as much as possible while someone is trying to make it through reading uh an essay or a chapter in a book as you yeah would. yeah it's like that episode of the twilight zone that became an episode of candid camera halfway through. Yeah, exactly <laughs> i was thinking more like a, a riff track for your podcast or something <laughs> Yeah, if yeah, ideally he would be recorded and I would be live. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I would like it for more to be like yeah, like a game day footage where you can go like, well, this bozo's getting into some mischief, or maybe like a Sven Gulli. <laughs> I would I would actually like it if now I know I, I this was my suggestion, so this is going to be really hard to go back and, and make it work like this. But now that I'm thinking about it, ideally, I think it'd be great if it was recorded, but I didn't know it. So that throughout the course of the podcast, I get more and more frustrated that my co-host is not paying attention to me. I think I think that's the sort of avant-garde podcasting that we should really be pushing on our network. Uh, and for a sincere response, uh, I will come on for free. That's We'll call that episode The Fountain. The Fountain. <laughs> oh no, fountain! <laughs> Sorry, I, but I will. I, if you need, if you're hard up for somebody for episode two, I'll come on for free. I'll do it again. You're not coming, no. Peter. I really don't think you get this. You're not coming on. I know. <laughs> you, heard of- you can edit this out. I'm saying to Adam and Dustin as a for- yeah. I'm sneaking into your house and I'm recording up and I'm planting out your recording equipment <laughs> so that you don't know you're being recorded. <laughs> and then I'm gonna play the episode at you. Uh, I rescind my invitation. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds deeply uncomfortable. At that point, it's not an invitation. I don't think you understand how this works. <laughs> like, hey, want to come on my podcast and read this in a in a convincing voice for twenty minutes? Like, that's not Peter. <sighs> You're disappointing me. This is exactly where I wanted discussions of va- the Vanishing Point podcast to go when Adam and I started. <laughs> <laughs> this- <laughs> <laughs> debating about whether someone can be invited on or hired which is the proper term so does it count as an invitation if they're being recorded without their knowledge <laughs> Dustin which Dustin Adam sorry Adam this turned into a weird conversation <laughs> okay. between us what's your game our latest failed quiz is called the biggest cheater Adam and I will be competing to see who can cheat more at this quiz all right which of the two of you would like to be my contestant. I'll go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I'm with Adam. <laughs> okay. Hooray. So it begins. First question, Peter. I should mention all of these questions are sort uh, related to the career of George Romero. Okay. Great. Love that guy. Okay. Who? 
<laughs> Question one. Why did the guts during the scene where a character is pulled apart smell particularly bad? I think you mean delicious. I, <laughs> <laughs> I said particularly. A. They were recovered from roadkill. B. Someone unplugged the fridge they were stored in. C. They were stolen from a dumpster. D. Romero let them spoil on purpose to get more authentic reactions. I'm going to go with the last one because it's the uh, funniest story out of all of them. I'm sorry, the correct answer is B. Someone unplugged the fridge they were stored in. That one seems way more realistic. <laughs> So he gets a negative one point then, right? You know, you know how when yeah, you're for, looking for outlets and you're like, I need an outlet, <laughs> but there's all this plugged, plugged stuff that's already plugged in, so that's not going to work. The thing that you're most likely to unplug thinking there will be no consequences is the fridge. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the fridge already smells of rotten meat, no. so nothing bad's going to happen if you unplug that. Uh, how about this TV that no one's using or the fridge? <laughs> You know how fridges and TVs are normally structured next to each other on outlets? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to unplug the lava lamp. Especially back in the 80s. <laughs> Adam? Oh, Aaron, would you like to go for the steel for that one then? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go D. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> you have one it's point. not correct. It's the same answer that Peter gave because I forgot what we were doing. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was looking at the no. wrong section. <laughs> I really appreciate your, right, so um, your uh, failure to grab that point. That's just, you know. <laughs> It was accidentally honorable, Aaron. I forgot what we were doing, and the last thing I heard was D. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll have a, a new question, yeah. then. Well, Aaron, you've incompetented your way out of a cheat. <laughs> so you've oh, my God, I'm so sorry, <laughs> So you've been ethical by accident. Just don't let it happen again. Okay. Why was location particularly hard to shoot in? A- it was too humid, which caused electrical failures. B, it was so cold that they had to put ice in their mouths to prevent fog from being visible. C, it was an active base. D, it was an active mine. Go oh, C. That is in <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is A. It was too humid and that caused electrical failures. I feel like... Um, I'm going to steal really and go with A. <laughs> so they really shot this they really shot this in the south huh uh they shot all the stuff that's above ground in the south and all the stuff in the mine is shot in pennsylvania near the monroeville mall and yeah the um so i'm gonna steal uh the answer is a because it was too humid i thought i already stole <laughs> no you tried to steal and you didn't steal all right, so the score is now three to one in Peter's favor. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, how, how Peter. did I get a point? <laughs> <laughs> Let alone, how do you three? <laughs> Peter, did I get a safety? <laughs> <laughs> Social promotion is how you get a point. Okay, great, I'm killing it, Peter. Which of these things happened during the production? A. It was delayed because a cast member quit. B. There was a plagiarism lawsuit. C. George Romero cheated on his wife, like, all the time, with everybody, while his wife watched. <laughs> or D. The budget was cut in half because of a ratings issue. Um, I'm going to say somebody left. That sounds familiar to me. It's D! <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes. Aaron for... 
honest steel. <laughs> so, so that's a one point. Penalty. I read the three paragraph. Wait, I got less points for stealing. For that's what I get for reading the Wikipedia production summary. <laughs> because you. Because you stole in an honest way. Oh. You have to Man, cheat. I, I have <laughs> never been more honest than I've been at this game. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> okay. uh, Aaron, which movie featured some of the ideas that had to be cut from this movie for budgetary reasons? A, Night of the Living Dead. B, Martin. C, Land of the Dead. D, Night of the Living Dead. So I, I lost points for... Just being honest last time. So here is I'm, I'm trying to play by your rules. You weirdo cousins of Jigsaw. Um, I'm gonna say the correct answer is whichever one is right. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> yep. Land of the Dead. I mean that's what I was leaning towards, but my guess is if I just got it right, it would be like negative ten points. <laughs> What I like about that is that all the other examples were before this movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, that's why it was clearly the right answer, but it seemed a little too honest if I just got it right. All right, Peter. Which famed Italian horror director produced George Romero's Dawn of the Dead? A. Dario Argento. A. Dario Argento. <laughs> 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 Aaron, who did the makeup and special effects? A, wrong answer. B, wrong answer. C, wrong answer. D, Tom Savani. I'm going to go with D. That is correct. <laughs> Incorrect. It was okay. Tom Savini. Yeah. Steel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're not holding people accountable for pronunciations on this show, are we? <laughs> I only hold you accountable for pronunciations. Uh, yeah, it's never been pleasant. Makes me feel bad. I don't, let's not do this to other people that are just guests. Peter, for the win, who wins the game? A, Adam, B, Dustin. Oh, B, Dustin. <laughs> Yay, I won! <laughs> <laughs> Which is appropriate since it was your quiz. Yeah. <laughs> and I will now begin to beg for it to be cut. <laughs> yep, I mean that would be the, the that would be the ultimate with. cheat is if I cut it out because I'm editing this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean or I dub I dub uh, someone here, Adam, if you could just yell Aaron won really quick Aaron, you won. <laughs> And you won! And if you could say, if there's anyone, if there's any objections, Peter or Dustin, please speak now. If there are any objections, Peter or Dustin, please speak now. I mean, they re they honestly didn't say anything. <laughs> they didn't have to edit out their, their cries of uh, disgust. Thank you so much for uh, bringing that game. That was a lot of fun. And I got the rules. So it was a bonus for me. <laughs> I eventually figured out the rules. <laughs> As always, my favorite thing with these quizzes is where it's we start out keeping uh, keeping score after every question, and then at some point we just stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might come to math skills more than yeah. <laughs> you know how when you're in an elevator and there's a bunch of uh, buttons for the floors, and how you realize there's no third floor in any building. You mean thirteen? Pretty wild. Oh, I thought it was third. Here's here's a fun trick you can do in elevators. So if you're staying at the 17th floor and you hit 12 and 5, it takes you right to 17. 
<laughs> is that true? <laughs> It'd be very frustrating if you were staying on the fifth floor and someone like, oh, someone hit my nose. What the fuck? <laughs> Why did we go to 17? Listeners, please, listeners, please try this out to confirm and then write to us your experience. Yeah. Post it on, uh, I don't know, Reddit? Uh, seems post it in your journal and then send it to us huh. by holding it close and then burning it. <laughs> and reading it uh, as a passage at our funeral in lieu of a reading. Uh, so you're going to say in Louisville and I'm like, I'm not getting buried in Louisville. And why are we being buried together? Why is it our funeral? <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> you know why. To save money. <laughs> uh, when the podcast ends. <laughs> I already died once this month. Uh, all right. Do you guys want to talk Ken about Burns, Day of the Dead? I want to see Ken Burns' Yes, punch. let's talk about the movie. I want to see Ken Burns' uh We're series, talking about the movie. Uh, Ken Burns' podcast. And we're like, talking about the movie. <laughs> these penniless people were forced to beg on a website called Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the movie they were so poor they had to be buried together with their podcast co-host with their microphones peter i gotta tell you something i think we're talking about the movie <laughs> what's, what's to talk about the movie? What, what's what sweetie what did i miss something oh i see you're trading them like i do like when my daughter's overtired <laughs> 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 all right yeah let's talk about uh dia de los muertos as they say south of the border the book of the dead <laughs> i feel like libro de los muertos <laughs> Uh, alternate tagline. I did it last week, so I will not this week. Yeah, you're doing you're doing ninety second recap. Alternate tagline is: There's still no more room in hell, and <laughs> they're still walking because because hell's still full. <laughs> so fucking hell. dumb. No hell, okay. still full. <laughs> <laughs> hell did not manage to expand its housing crisis. We're working on the renovation. Hell, open during renovation. <laughs> Hell built a damn wall, obviously. <laughs> Nailed it. Listen, listen. Some people are going to have to stay in uh, in suites. Some people are going to have to stay in, uh, you know, a one bedroom. Maybe, you know, uh, have some roommates. I, I, I can't promise that everybody is going to get their own bedroom at first in hell, okay? It is oh. hell after all. You're too good for the storage closet in hell. <laughs> Look at you, Mr. Fancy Pants, Mr. Big City Boy. <laughs> you guys have gone like from Brooklyn tough guy to Southerners. <laughs> Roy, mate. Like every time you put on a voice. Al, well, don't you know you're down under in hell? There's no vacancies here. No vacancies here, mate. 
Right! <laughs> now you gotta go be a shambling corpse walking the earth forever. Oh, look at me, I'm Peter, I'm a shambling corpse. <laughs> oh, look at, look at me, Aaron, I'm, I'm Aaron. This is this, what I sound like. This is we gotta get out of here, we're in hell. <laughs> Welcome to Hellfest. This actually is how you guys would react to a zombie apocalypse in real life. Yeah. You would just be walking around, pointing at the dead, and making fun of them. Let's say, let's say every voice we've ever done on this show. Uh, all right, what's that? What was that? Ninety second recap. <laughs> I'll, I'll say. Uh, what's that? Uh, Ninety second recap you got there? Oh, I'll say. I'll uh, say. I'll say, boy. I'll say. I'll say. I'll say. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, for Day of the Dead, uh, we open on our group of survivors uh, basically establishing that they are in Florida, that there is nobody around. They can't find anybody else. And it is essentially a group of uh, scientists versus uh, a group of army uh, soldiers who were stationed to protect the scientists while they did research on the dead and try and find a cure or solution, something. And then the pilot and the radio guy, uh, two other civilians. And they're all kind of locked in this underground bunker. They can't really hang out on the surface because zombies have completely surrounded the, uh, the camp around the bunker uh, and are up against the fences. So they can't even really see daylight. So they're all just kind of going crazy. Turn- they're, they're already at each other's throats at the beginning of the movie. And it just gets worse and worse and worse as the movie goes on. And things finally boil over when the mad, the mad new army captain, uh, uh, Rhodes, uh, discovers that the mad scientist, the mad lead scientist known as Frankenstein, uh, decided to use one of his dead men for an experiment. The mad captain goes crazy, shoots Frankenstein, basically uh, creates a situation where all the scientists are violent conflict up against the soldiers and everybody has to try and get out. Uh, And uh, a few of the nerds die, uh, leaving uh, just our lead nerd. Our lead nerd, Sarah, uh, takes off with uh, the Jamaican helicopter pilot and the alcoholic radio man to a private island, uh, but she's still clearly haunted by her past. Um, yeah, I take some issues with who you thought the heroes and who you thought the villains were in this movie. Um, <laughs> I counted a, a lot of lot of heroes. I thought that uh, sort of a sad ending for them, uh, as they <laughs> they weren't even in the final scene. But okay. I mean, different readings, different strokes. I get it. Aaron, I'm going to say something. The real hero of this movie is Bub. And I didn't even mention Bub in my 90-second recap. (laughs) I was thinking about that. But fucking Bub. Oh, I think I'm so good because I can use tools and recognize people. (laughs) I'll tell you what, he is... is he is kind of like the Paris Hilton of the zombie community. Like no one really likes him. Yeah, I thought you were going to accuse him of being an Uncle Tom or something for a moment. There, but. <laughs> Uncle Bub. So, uh, Aaron, what what is your history with this movie? Well, I saw it last night, and before that, I saw it in high school, and I liked it both times. Thank you so much. No, uh, Adam and Dustin. So, go ahead. Uh, Adam and Dustin, what are what's your history with this movie? I found a book called uh, "Cult Video uh, Cult Movies and Videos" by Video Hound. If you remember those sort of gigantic collections of reviews of sort of fringe movies back when a book like that made sense, 
And I fell in love with the work of George Romero after seeing Night and Dawn and then was disappointed in this one. So that's about uh, all my experience for it. Ever since hearing that George it was George Romero's favorite, I've tried to like it nearly as much as he does. But every time so, he's just like bashed me in the head. So it. you are negative on it. Yes. Okay. But like tentatively negative. So why did can – I, can I ask you a quick question? So when I said here's some movies we're doing – or I think I just announced back in July that we were going to do the Romero thing. You messaged me immediately and said you want to talk about Day. Because I think it is more interesting to talk about this movie than it is to just like list off plot points and weaknesses. Talk about how things could have been fixed, in my opinion. That's respectable. Or thematic aspects of it. Adam? I think I came to it later than Dustin did. I was in college when I – oh, I'd seen uh, Night – when I was younger, but I hadn't seen Don or Day yet. And then I kind of did the old trilogy. And I think my initial reaction was against it. And then I, I, I seemed to be on a bit of a pendulum. I, I've never hated nor loved it. I've enjoyed it the more I've watched it for the most part, I'd say, other than some things which irritate me a bunch. That's mostly my experience with it. Huh. The the main thing is the score. I guess I'll just come on and say it. That's the it is the biggest. It is so cheesy. You don't like the, the score? The music in this. The music in this. Oh no, I hate the score. The music in this or made me um, go back and realize just how fantastic the music in Fantastic Planet was, <laughs> because that that was an artful score with purpose and resonance. This is video poker music. It could have been put in Time Chasers. I, I the MST3K movie. I'm pretty fond of the score, but mostly I'm fond of it uh, in the opening, which I'll get to because I think this movie has yeah. the best opening of any zombie movie. Um, uh, and I think probably the most iconic from from how much it's been copied. So my experience with this movie was I was um, like I did a lot in high school because I didn't have all the free time to just watch movies because of part time jobs and school and like. Uh, unfortunately, parents that didn't just let me sit around and watch uh, movies anytime I was home. But I did have jobs where I was able to surf this new thing called the internet. Check it out. Early 90s, Netscape Navigator. A lot of fun. Uh, there's porn. Where did it go? It's out there in the ether. In the hearts Maybe of Maybe every... buried in a mine, maybe. Yeah. It's out uh, there in the hearts and dreams of every horny 13-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One thing I would do is I'd spend a lot of time on, like, Internet Movie Database uh, and kind of, like, play on movies I wanted to watch. And then I would read, like, Roger Ebert reviews and stuff like that. And I just seen Dawn of the Dead, I remember. And I was so excited to see Day. And I went to go read Ebert's review – uh, and it was one and a half stars. He did not like it. Thought it was really dark and depressing. Bummed. But then I started like typing in just Day of the Dead reviews and trying to find other people that had written stuff. And there was this great essay I read about that kind of commented on Ebert's Ebert's review and said that it felt like it was a really missed take on it. That it really was a logical conclusion at the time for this trilogy. So when I watched it. I was kind of prepped for how talky this movie was going to be, and I was kind of prepped for this wasn't going to have the same level of fun that we had experienced in in Dawn. And I think that kind of allowed me to view it with, I'm not expecting Dawn of the Dead, uh, I'm not even expecting Night of the Living Dead, but I, I'm here to listen about these kind of people having these philosophical discussions uh, at the end of the world. And so I really liked it. 
there there is something so resonant i think about just having a lot of time to sit and discuss the place that they're they're in which they don't really have time to do in dawn and then the other thing that i think this movie does really well is something that um not many movies do which is really takes your group of survivors and and kind of makes makes it makes i think a pretty realistic and convincing case for if even if you're left with 10 or 12 people they're not going to band together and they're not going to unite and all of their previous prejudices, all of their previous um, ways of thinking are just going to still exist in a world of 12 people. And I think watching that in 2017, when we're, li- when we're living in a country where half of this country sees the other half as honest-to-God enemies, it feels really true to life right now. Um, I totally agree, uh, but I'll I'll say my history of the movie that when I first saw it, I really didn't like it. Um, it is one of the most bleak movies, and it's one of the most bleak zombie movies. This begins with a uh, us finding out the world is even more dead than we thought it was going to be. That there's no hope left, and there's a people on essentially a being led on a um, pointless quest to try and fix something that seems, in, it, according to the movie, basically is unfixable. And people are not only that, so they can't even find solace in their work. And at home, they can't find solace because our lead, Sarah, is in an abusive relationship with her boyfriend who hates her almost every minute they're on screen. He's a collapsing post-traumatic stress disorder victim who is taking out his grief on Sarah. Sarah's just turning to try and help him, but she doesn't have a great bedside manner because she's apparently been working on him for forever. And that's like the movie in a nutshell is like this fucked up relationship that doesn't seem to be able to get fixed and people sticking in it. And then eventually when they abandon, abandon these like awful systems that they're stuck in and they're prisoner to, they can finally be free. It is definitely George's most pessimistic movie, but it still has like a ray of light at the end. It's actually weirdly enough, his most optimistic ending. Yeah. uh, For his most dark movie. And so I didn't like it when I was in high school. And then I rewatched it in college and fell in love with it for what it was. In high school, I wanted it to come to me. Instead, Day of the Dead is like, mostly people screaming in each other's faces and there's no comfort for you here. There's no fun. There's no like party in the middle where you're like, Hey, maybe these guys sometimes have fun. It is just bleak through and through. And it grew on me once I grew to accept the movie for what it is and what it's actually trying to say. And it works as a good bookend with Night of the Living Dead, I think. Where, Cause I mean, Night of the Living Dead's not fun at any point, but it feels of a piece where it's people angry and shouting at each other and not knowing what to do. And in the first one, it's panic because the situation is new. And in the third one, it's, I don't know, it's not panic. It's like being resigned to an impossible situation that's been going on forever. Yeah, that's part of the problem is that every is now in the third one, the horrors seem routine and where and everybody just seems like they're trying. As much as they're trying to push back against each other, they're trying to push back against boredom. And that, to me, does not uh, contribute to a compelling story. And 
as a rule. But I think that that's part of the deal. I, I guess that, it's like, believable, but... Yeah, I think that's part of the deal mm-hmm. is that, like, you would eventually doing this mopping up and this, like, trying to break down the zombie uh, outbreak into the zombie affliction into these, like, days where you're just going through scientific processes while someone is trying to irrationally break you out of that scientific process. And also, you find out that the person who's running these tests is not actually following the process either, that your system is fucked on both sides, you're like, yeah, I can see how that can be, like, frustrating for a viewer, but it, they're bored and they're turning to anything they can because they're frustrated and, like, it's just, like, a human... It feels like a really, really human movie to me, and it's a loud movie. It is. Well, it's a bunch of people kind of sitting and not knowing what to do. I mean, that feels really true to life. You're, Peter, you hit the nail on the head. Like, there's a there's a scientist who's, besides the fact that his experiments are full of shit to begin with, because he's he's doing the thing that he says he's not, which is feeding the zombies. Like, even if his experiments work, who gives a shit? Like, they're not going to be able to tame all the zombies, which many characters in the movie reference. The military people don't know what to do, so they're still getting test subjects, thinking about leaving, and wondering if if Washington, D.C. is going to call them back. The other scientists that aren't Dr. Frankenstein don't know what the fuck to do. Like, they're like, maybe we could find a cure? You know, but at some point, there's 12 of you left. It's the apocalypse. I don't know what the fuck you do either. It's It's a question of, do you... Do you just go and wait for death? Do you decide that this is insurmountable? Do you sit there and die, which is kind of what the helicopter pilot is basically saying? Or do you try to do something, even if that something is wildly impotent? Yeah, and I totally agree with you, Dustin, that it can be kind of frustrating how, like, they seem bored and stuff. But, like, I feel like that is the movie to me, is people being, like, stuck in a fucked up system and then event- and the system doesn't work. And then the most exciting parts of the movie are when the systems break. He already touched on this beat of a bunch of people locked together in a room and they're getting bored in Dawn of the Dead. But they're, 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 what they're getting bored with is having this vast wealth of them all. So they have a reason to stay there. Here it's, I mean, there's the scientific research going on, I guess. That could be why Sarah, Pilot, Miguel, and the others are putting up with these dangerous soldiers that are pulling guns on them in like the first 20 minutes of the movie and things like that. But that's not really enough. Like there's not, there's not a scene where Sarah seems invested enough in the scientific work. My feeling with this movie is he hits some of the beats and the themes from night of the living dead and dawn of the dead. When what he should have been doing is Andromeda strain. If Sarah's a scientist and she's doing this medical research with, I think, the intent to cure people who have the plague, that that seems to... There's, like, one token scene where she's looking at test tubes, and that seems to be what they're going for. That's how she should be introduced. Be, like, she should think, I might be on the verge of a breakthrough, or I never know if I'm going to find the cure for this, and that sort of thing, instead of that token thing after kind of a limp, slow intro where she's doing like a survey thing trying to find other survivors and that to me is just not as if she's supposed to be a scientist if that's her function in the facility that should be established right away i i kind of disagree because i think it would be way more frustrating if we saw her researching the zombie virus and then the movie later was like actually there's no cure because i think the movie wants us to know right off the bat there is no cure 
they are doomed. And the reason we don't see her doing science is because she's acting as a political operator between Rhodes and Frankenstein. And she, so instead of watching her do science, which would be kind of boring in a movie where the science doesn't ultimately matter, it's just another system that she feels bound to. She is instead acting as a political operator where she's talking to Rhodes and trying to justify their mission. She's constantly saying, like, we need to keep doing the work. We need to make sure we're t- keeping track of these bodies. Like, she is she is being a scientist, but she's being a scientist who's, like, just trying to make sure that the machine still functions. Which I think is, like, something we can get behind because all of us get frustrated when you're in a system that, like, either we don't totally believe in, but we gotta believe in to keep our lives going. A uh, shitty marriage, a shitty job, a shitty whatever. Or... We, uh, or she's like, trying. we're trying to keep, um, something to believe in. Like, we're, we need, like, something to throw our energy into. And she totally is just using this thing as, like, something to, to keep her going. And that's why she's so defensive of it. She's like, without this, I have literally nothing. And you will murder I, us, probably. <laughs> I also just like the idea that our, like, sensible character doesn't have any better ideas than anyone else. Like, you're right, she is a scientist. She's never presented as, like, a expert in her field or the type of super genius that's going to be able to cure a disease that has probably stumped thousands of scientists in hundreds of countries. Like, her, her plan is to, I don't know, cure it? Reverse it? She's the most sympathetic because she's not an asshole and she's, and she's trying to, like, unite the group. But she doesn't – I love that she doesn't have really a better idea than anyone else because this movie is so fucking bleak. And I, I think it would be a mistake to have someone approaching a cure or, or or close to some big breakthrough because that's pretty like blasé for these types of movies. I really like that our our main scientist and our main identifying character, her point of view is, I yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should cure it. Let's work at that. I – I'm not close to one. I'm just could be years, but maybe let's yeah, let's cure this thing because that is that is so depressing. But I I also get it because you're either going to succumb to the hellscape that the world is or cure it. And even if you have no chance of curing it, you don't even know if it's a fucking virus to begin with. Sure, I guess that's a that's a plan that you can have. But I love that it's no more ridiculous than anyone else's plans. It's just nicer. Would it be more depressing, though, for her to be on the verge of discovering a cure and then Rhodes or somebody comes and messes up because military and shooting and guns? He already did or, that with like, the crazy Or Dr. Logan or, or Dr. Logan with his alternative training and sur- uh, train the zombies or surgery thing that compromises her. So that's a reason for her to cover up his mis- his wrongdoing I- because... She could still, because she still gets access to her source of hope. So she's got a, like a, a motivating factor that increases the tension for her. And best of all, she and her friends have a reason to stay here. I mean, the fact that at the end, they just get in their helicopter and fly away, that makes it feel kind of silly to me that they put up with these dangerous soldiers for as long as they do. They didn't have a they didn't have a choice though. <clears throat> and it's two things going on. Like one I was saying like she legitimately I think believes in the mission for a time and like has to believe in the mission and her journey is to realize that this is a lost cause, that there is nothing tying to her to her previous life. And so what she might as well do is go enjoy 
you know, carpe diem, enjoy your last days on Earth while this plague ravages because you are not going to solve this thing. And I think that, like, the movie establishes pretty quickly that this is not going to be something you can solve. The movie that you're kind of talking about, uh, George kind of did with the crazies. Uh, Not to spoil it, but, like, essentially there is a character trying to solve the virus the whole time, and he's constantly interrupted by military douchebags, and the military is constantly making it worse. Yeah, but that takes place in like the course of a couple of days. This could, this story feels like it. There's been a long time that for this to have been set up or for this to fall but apart. But remember, the ma- they they talk about how the major died when they when they when they go out looking for survivors at the opening of the movie, and they come back and they say, "Yep, the major died." And they talk about throughout the movie that the major was kind of in charge of everyone, and now people are. People are kind of uh, both uh, devolving into chaos, but also kind of vying for who are they going to listen to. So, but I think it's implied pretty heavily that the reason that we're seeing when we kind of enter the picture, uh, you know, a very quick yelling match uh, over and over again is because the person who was holding this um, coalition of disparate thoughts and elements together has recently passed away. Oh, but but they come back from their like survey mission or whatever you'd call the opening of this movie, and I don't get the impression that Cooper was like a control was a steadying hand or anything because the only thing Logan's uh, Doctor Logan says about him is he's doing more help for us now than he ever did while he was alive, while he's uh, performing surgery on the body, and if he's like saying that blatantly after admitting that he murdered this guy. I I know he's supposed to be crazy, but I think he'd have sense enough to think that he shouldn't say that unless he thinks on some level Sarah's going to believe it. I don't know that Frankenstein murdered the major. I just think he might be exploiting the body. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I I never got the sense that he was killing people. I just think that he was desecrating their corpses for his experiments. And there's no, you know, there's no rational reason why they would not offer up the bodies, but he takes it anyways because some part of his fucked up brain still understands that people would be upset by this, right? Well, also, it's it's kind of undermining his whole his whole thing is that uh, we can motivate the, the zombies to occupy their minds on other things that aren't meat, and the way he's doing that is he is, like, training them like a dog, where you you do all this stuff, you grab the book, you you don't eat me, and then at the end of it, I reward you with fresh fresh meat. So he's not he's not actually doing what his experiment set out to do, which is distract them from wanting meat. Because one thing I really like about this movie, which might be a good transition about how you guys feel about this, uh, and something that I've liked about all the dead movies is there's never a consistent explanation. It is just this idea of people rising up, and this movie adds another layer to it where. I mean, if I suppose if Dr. Frankenstein's research is to believe, but let's assume that part of it is on the level, which is that the zombies don't even get anything from from eating flesh or eating brains, which is a big change from normal zombie movies. Normally there is like that's how they have sustenance. If zombies don't have food for a long time in movies, they get to be the decayed zombies. And this movie posits, yeah, that's just what they do. But if they don't eat Flesh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, really. But they, they eat flesh, but yeah, we don't know why they're doing it, but whatever. Well, no, 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 it's, they, they're doing it because it's instinctive, yeah. but it's not like performing a biological yeah. function, which I think is like the creepiest and best idea in this movie. Absolutely. Because on some level, the idea of being eaten, maybe on some level you think, well, it's back to the food chain, I, I'm food, but 
the thought that you're being eaten and the thing isn't even benefiting from eating you, that to me, like back my brain subconsciously makes me think, oh, it's for nothing and that makes it worse. It also seemed kind of like a probably a necessary but a way to differentiate it from Return of the Living Dead that come out and kind of spawn the brains me- meme, which one of the more annoying <laughs> Well, here's why it's also really scary, though. In most zombie movies, there's this idea of, yeah, there's a virus that's taken over, the zombies are going crazy, and the survivors actually have a chance to kind of wait it out. Because either the virus that's reanimated corpses will eventually – it's not going to get any substance and they're all going to die. Or if they just wait long enough, the zombies themselves without food will just decay and they'll wash away from nothing. What this movie posits is – yeah, I guess even if you sit for a thousand years under that bunker and raise other generations, because the food that they these zombies are eating doesn't do anything when when you pop out again, I guess all those zombies are just going to finally like, oh shit, there's people to eat again. All right. Bruh. I mean, yeah. that's terrifying <laughs> that, that you can't even wait it out like a nuclear apocalypse waiting for the radiation to go away or most other zombie yeah. movies. It's just... Yeah, no, it's all – they're all still going to be there unless you literally are able to kill them one by one. And also, which which um, adds to his other great part of the mythos, when you die, when anyone you know dies, they're immediately a zombie too because it's not a virus. They're just coming back to life after their death. So the I think that's why it even more pushes for this abandoning of the world because like, yeah, you could sit by the fence and spend all day for the rest of your day – killing these things and uh frankenstein says we don't have enough bullets frankly uh yeah. doesn't he say there's four hundred thousand to one yeah yeah that's a crazy fucking number that is like i think if zombie movies included statistics more <laughs> maybe, <laughs> like i know like i know like usually numbers are meaningless but like four hundred thousand to one is a very very good number that is it's an cr- incredibly creepy number because the idea that like I don't know if I've done 400,000 of anything. Do you even eat 400,000 times in your life? Like, what? Well, I do, but I'm trying to cut back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You could sit at the fence all day and just stab him in the head or shoot him in the head all, all day long for the rest of your days and still not get all of them. You have to kind of put in your mind that this is 1985 throughout the viewing, because if you're like, you're a fan of The Walking Dead and you're watching... Some of this, you're going to be kind of critical of, oh, why don't they have arm protection on? Or why do they ha- are they only protected by a fence that some teenagers could hop sure. over? <laughs> and even in the movie, they're like, uh, they're like, we should go downstairs because they will definitely knock this fence over if they get too riled up. <laughs> True. Yeah, I got to tell you, the, f- the fencing situation in this movie is ridiculous. Like, it feels like the zombies almost knock it over 20 times. They're like, oh, whoops, uh, not not yet. Not ready quite for uh, Sorry, we got to wait. We got to wait till it's really dramatic, guys. Uh, hey, Steve. Stop pushing so fucking hard on the fence, guys. George has come over and yelled at us like five times. <laughs> it does make you wonder. It does make you wonder whether or not the movie, um, whether or not uh, when they were on set, they had, George had to be like, please just be gentle. Just be gentle. Guys, um, my budget was cut in half. So let's talk about that a little. Um, yes, oh, yeah. Please. So this movie originally started as a 202 page script. Uh, Romero described it as his plan was going to be the gone uh, with the wind uh, of zombie movies. I'm assuming he meant budget and scale, not it's going to be super racist. 
Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, but that that eventually he took that draft. He cut it down to 122 minutes or 122 pages. Uh, no one's ever seen either of these versions. There's been no leaks, release stuff, anything like that. By the way, um, and then his budget kept getting cut. As Dustin and Adam allude to in their in their quiz, he just couldn't get the funding. And then when they read the script, they're like, "Well, this is going to have to be released unrated." Like Dawn of the Dead, which again is pretty shocking that they didn't go, which is fine because Dawn with the Dead made 50 times its budget. So no worries there. Um, but instead they're like, fuck you. So his budget started at, he wanted like 13. He was supposed to get seven. And then near the last minute, because they weren't going to get an R rating or they didn't think they would, they cut it to 3.5 million. So his script went from 200 to 120 to 100. And finally, the one that we saw. We we released is eighty eight pages, so there there definitely is a of a, a, a lot of different versions of this movie that were that were bigger, and he kind of cut it down to the bone. And I think that is why, even though I really do love this movie, in comparison to stuff like Dawn and Night, even though he had very limited budgets on those movies, he was expecting limited budgets and designed his movies around those. So the vision that we got on screen is relatively close to what he had envisioned. Uh, with this one, he was envisioning uh, something on a scale that we don't really know. It was chipped away into maybe something completely different, maybe uh, an aspect of it that he decided to focus on. But I will say, you know, Dustin, as you say, this feel you this doesn't feel like it connects to you. This is different for Romero in that even though it was his biggest uh, zombie budget, he is working at a... Uh, much restricted uh, his his vision was much more restricted than it was in the previous two it, it sort of feels like he bought into his own mythos with this one it sounds insulting but i guess if you make two of the best horror movies of all time you're allowed <laughs> to buy into your but but i think he was like putting his messaging over his storytelling is part of the problem that's why he got so elaborate that's why a lot of the characters, to me, feel like they're kind of flanderized. You need obvious differences in the groups so that you can side with one or over the other. But he feels like he's made all the soldiers into cartoons and everybody else is a relatively balanced human being. And you see... Technically, by that description, you included Dr. Frankenstein in a relatively balanced human being. <laughs> <laughs> but he, ha he has, like, compassion for Bob, even though he's willing to mess around with soldier bodies, that sort of thing. Like, he isn't just like, there's a softer side of Dr. Logan. It is funny because <laughs> Logan could have just been a but, cheap um, Jeffrey Combs and Reanimator knockoff, a Herbert West knockoff, but he's like warmer. And that was part of the reason why um, that his training thing for me is somewhat driven by some sort of version of compassion or some relatively quick fix. Anyway, um, to me, this is putting like th this is putting his message of military bad, there's no hope and stuff over making the story compelling scene to scene, because now a lot of it feels kind of listless. the The Ritz scene, the, the the scene in quote the Ritz where they basically go to a relatively middle class part of the place that's set up like a domestic environment. And they just sort of hang out and chat. To me, that doesn't serve like a dramatic function anymore the way it did at Dawn of the Dead, where 
in Dawn of the Dead, they get bored because they have all this stuff that there's just nothing to do with it, and no change, and no variety, and things like that, and they're stuck. Here it's just, we're sitting around because we have this place. No, they're sitting around because they have a mission. No, and we're still in danger, and we're, sti- we're still in danger, we're no closer to making progress on the medical stuff, so it doesn't seem, it just feels like the any tension or the purpose or whatnot is draining out in that scene instead of a uh, conclusion is being reached or something like that. I'll grant you the the military uh, as portrayed in this movie, including uh, uh, a young Walter Sobchak from Big Lebowski. <laughs> um, uh, I, I agree that as the military is portrayed in this movie, there's not a lot of nuance and they're definitely loud villains. But I, I don't think you're giving the movie credit for... It's not siding with the scientists over the military. I think it's a lot more uh, bleak and nihilistic than that, in that the scientists, our two main scientist characters are, one has a thought and an idea of it'd be great if we could do something, but I don't know how to fuck to do it, but let's work on it. And the other one is a complete lunatic who's doing experiments that don't matter, won't mean anything, even if they were on the level, wouldn't solve the problem. So I think this movie is pretty... I mean, the it's it's more obtu- it's more obvious and, and in your face with the military, but I, I think this movie is giving everyone the business. But but in the well, in the original version, the reason he was basically training Bob was the hope that he could like make an army of zombies. But see, that's fucking stupid too. All their ideas are stupid in this movie, and every and I I don't mean that as a criticism. I think this movie is about how. Everyone's like, no one knows what the fuck to do. We're supposed to kind of look at all these ideas and goes, yeah, that's fucking stupid. And then you'd go, okay, well, what would you do? And you'd go, I don't know, run further away? The island idea, even the beach. They're sitting at the beach at this end of this movie. There's probably fucking zombies on this wherever they are because there's zombies everywhere. And they've cornered themselves on a beach. So I guess when they start, when whenever the zombies uh, get the whiff, or one of those three of them die, they're they're probably in a little bit of trouble. I think the music and all that is too happy, and Romero's own statements make me think they're supposed to have found safety. Well, until they die, like you said, until they die, or one of them dies. But I think the point is that <laughs> the point is not that they're safe from death. We're, none of us are safe from death. <laughs> Adam, you are not safe from death. <laughs> Adam, you specifically. <laughs> Adam, look under your chair. You'll find a <laughs> device. The story of the one person on Earth who has to die. <laughs> like, maybe on Earth, a, a story where only one person is going to die at a time. And Well, they just stopped wasting their time. They accepted, like, we don't have much time left. Let's, I guess, enjoy what little time we have left on a dying world. And yeah, so, this is YOLO the movie. <laughs> inaccurate, so. though, because literally everyone lives twice. Yeah. <laughs> once, <laughs> once <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I, I think when you're talking about that scene where they're at the Ritz, and I think that that's a and really And if they're blue, scene. and they want to go down to, why don't they go? We're fashion bits. <laughs> Do you want to expand on Aaron that? Armstrong is referencing Young Frankenstein's putting on the Ritz. Put, well, putting on the Ritz. It's appropriate because there's a Frankenstein involved in that scene. 
<laughs> so, uh, this month's movie is Young Frankenstein. We're going to be watching Young Frankenstein. <laughs> I like times. that. It's, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, an origin, it's an origin story for Dr. Logan. <laughs> He's Gene Wilder. So, the, the Ritz scene is really important to me because I in high school I hated it also because I felt like it was just draining off all the tension and whatever. I love that scene because it is. When are the zombies going to come? Mom, you promised there'd be zombies. <laughs> Sorry. Do you, do you want to riff on me for a little bit? Uh, I, I, there's also no conflict with the soldiers, which I could understand. That's why I feel there's it's kind of a draining moment. Sure, Brett McGill and, in there to. Some of the, yeah. Okay, so. I, like, and maybe it should be something where. And. And Sarah should be like should be getting along with Miguel in that scene, so that there could be some sense of what she's losing or why she was ever attracted to him. Well, her options are limited now. I mean, um, it, it is. It, I, so the the Ritz scene I think is important because and and when I watched in high school, I also was very frustrated with it. And even when I watched in college, I was like, this is taking a long time. But I feel like the point of the scene is that like. He's saying not that he has any solutions for their scientific problems. He's not saying that he has that this is like a particularly wonderful place. But in a relative sense, it's fucking heaven. Yeah. This movie is so bleak that this little corner looks so incredible to her. And they have like she's like, I just and, and the best thing about it is that she it is basically a scene where she gets converted to their cause, but just can't quite find the opportunity when to pull the trigger and get out of there because she's still attached to attached to Miguel. And she and you can see her turn at first. She just came down here because she's like, I just want to get drunk and hang out and like be completely like obliterated away from my thoughts because my day to day life is so fucking awful. I need to be here. And then she also, you know, throws some shade at the helicopter pilot for being too detached and not attached to the group. And the helicopter pilot says, this is exactly why I'm not attached to your group. It's not bringing you any happiness. You're not getting any better. And then he says, why don't you, you know, maybe come along to our side? We're not promising you enlightenment. We're not promising you that you're going to be any smarter or any better. We're just saying that maybe... You're going to be more comfortable with your oblivion. Rhodes probably won't shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> if we leave on the helicopter now. And, and you said the military guys come in. The only tension I had in that scene was that the military guys were going to come in and like fuck up his nice little place. And I'm like, well, no, they, no, they were great to take it. They were great to force him to fly them away. Yeah. Yeah. He's relatively safe because he's, they, they, they need him. They don't want to shoot him. Yeah. But I guess it could take away his toys, and he could would still live. But he holds relative power. His, they could ruin his Ritz. <laughs> I, I was thinking though that Miguel's relatively sympathetic, at least at to a point. So he would maybe be mum about it, and he seems kind of on the outs with the rest of the unit because of his deterioration. So the reason, so Miguel feels Miguel is an interesting case because he feels more duty to the military than he does to Sarah and also to his own sense of masculinity and his sense of his, he just like Sarah needs to feel important. So that's why he gets so fucking frustrated when Sarah is like trying to nurture him. Yeah. Take, you need to take a sedative. You need to rest. Something needs to happen. Cause he's like, no, I need to, you know, they're not taking a sedative. I need to go be with them. Even though he's like on the verge of collapse and he's risking everybody's life by just, being there so that's another reason why they can't just take the helicopter at the beginning is because i don't think miguel would let them okay maybe i was seeing miguel as too too nice compared to the others in the unit which kind of made me put another code because of how 
much of the chills they were giving me. I think you have the same sympathy for him that I do and that, like a lot of viewers would in that not that you think he's a good person or whatever, but that like that human or liberal sympathy where you're like, this dude is mentally ill and needs to be like put into a, a soft room for a little while and needs to be like nurtured back to health. Like this guy should not be in. Nobody should be letting this dude have a gun. He should not be in charge of any specific operations. I, I don't know if I'm speaking for you, but I feel like that's where my sympathy for Miguel comes from. Yeah, but if Sarah is concerned about him. When they go on their survey thing for looking for survivors, the last thing she should do is put him back in that environment. That's why I feel it hurts the movie that she doesn't have enough of a motivating factor to stay at the space in these dangerous areas with these dangerous soldiers. If she's supposed to be concerned about him, the last thing she should be doing is putting him in harm's way, having him corral zombies. So she, so to, to me, she comes across as aimless and... As aimless as everybody else said, constantly doing the wrong thing. But I think that's the point. Or that's what works for me at the very least. But that's a bad point. Third movie is just like the first two. And it's about people being stubbornly committed to a plan or a system that they're like, this is what's driving me forward. And it causes them to be lash out in very human ways against one another because they disagree about what the best plan should be. And then the third act is them abandoning the plan and moving on. Like even the third act of Night of the Living Dead is him ending up in the basement after yeah. he said the whole time, I should never go in the basement. And the basement does save his life. And the basement <laughs> saves his life. The basement fucking works. That's the weird thing is that Harry in the first one is right, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah, but you also can understand the logic against him. But that's, I mean, that's one of the things that make these movies good. Right, it's people acting in uncertain situations in believable I ways. I mean, the military but isn't me, wrong no either. The, I mean, in this movie, they're all assholes and they're murderers and they're monsters and stuff like that. But their thing is kind of, yeah, hey, let's get the fuck out of here. We're, we haven't heard anything from Washington. The major's dead. All your experiments sound fucking stupid. Yeah, they're saying maybe we'll kill some of you and leave, but they're 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 uh, where they're at at this uh, when this movie kind of begins is this is all dumb. I don't want to wait weeks for your experiments of training zombies. It's the military that says, okay, your plan is stupid. The movie's calling out its own characters and the voice of reason through. Uh, experiments or saying, uh, hey, I don't think you're going to cure the zombie problem in two years. That's your plan? That's fucking dumb, too, is the military. <laughs> well, she doesn't need to cure the entire zombie But that's epidemic, what she says. She says either she, like, reverse it or cure it. Like, And the military's like, how yeah, long but, is that going to no, no, take? No. It, reverse, reverse or cure. You just need to like reverse or cure an individual for that to be worthwhile, I would think. Like, just the fact that you've got this chemical formula, if you can find a cure, you don't need to go around it injecting every zombie with it. It's worthwhile True. if you can just, If like, you can save yourself, cure. but... Bob got bitten, or, yeah. You, you, if, like, it's Mc, not going to cure you again. If, like, McWell was bitten, Trust like, me. at the... Be <laughs> Trust me. If there was, like, the scene in... If there was, like, the subplot in The Walking Dead, where the governor... Uh, the governor's daughter has been turned. So if that had happened to like McWell or, or, or somebody that mattered to Sarah, that would be the motivation to find a cure that, that somebody important to her is this zombie. And so by leaving, she's letting go of that grief. But that just sounds like such an uninteresting 
movie to me. And you're right, the cure the well, cure well, could stop that's... you from being like a zombie, but it's not going to stop you from getting eaten. And when they when they, when she tells them that I don't know, it could take months, could take years, and the military is like, "What the fuck are you talking about? We don't have any supplies to last that long." She's like, "Okay, but we should though. Let's try to do that." Well, they could. Sur- well, I guess that's part of what those helicopter surveys are supposed to be for. Is that's them looking for supplies? This, I, if they find, sur- they needed to say explicitly what well, that they were looking for. People, if they were looking for, so frustrated, if they were looking for supplies, like I tell you. Their plan's not great. Um, and I think even modifying it would be bad. I think if they yelled, Saltines! <laughs> Saltines! <laughs> Triscuits! Oh, shit, they're coming again. And we have no crackers! And then, like, one guy goes, Cheez-Its! And the other guy goes, I prefer cheese nips! Fuck you! Surge! <laughs> but I also, I also think the whole, I think the whole, um, the whole, are they looking for a cure thing is thrown out the window in the beginning. That is supposed to be, it is supposed to be clear that they are up against a fucking brick wall and that brick wall is the concept of death. Yeah. And you, you don't beat death. Death wins every time. Well, and they're looking for a uh, cure. But, like I'm looking for gold. Like if I stumble across it, great, but I don't have any good plans. I have no treasure map. Yeah. I don't know how to sail the seven seas. I mean, I'm fucked, but it's a great plan. You know how to sail like at most two seas. Yeah, but the, like the genre, the genre expectations of the time would be she's going to find yeah. a cure. But that's so the point. there's more that she's letting go. Yeah, but the hmm? well, but I'm saying that's the point. I think I think this movie eschews a lot of the expectations. Yeah, but then there's more that she is letting go of if she thinks she's like just beyond her grasp is this cure, or even if it's like a vain, impossible hope. Then there's more of a change in her. That she has an arc. You can't let go of the fact <laughs> that she's not looking for a cure and she's never going to find one. And but she, they, she is looking for a cure. Sarah should <laughs> don't be include, <laughs> Don't include a scene of a character looking for a cure if your point is going to be she's not looking for a cure. No, she's looking, or she's a looking for a cure. She just doesn't know where to look. Yeah. Adam... Adam, as a scientist, you if you you work with other scientists, I imagine, right? Like it's not it's not like yes. you are a scientist at like a library and everyone's like, why did we hire that one no. scientist? <laughs> I don't know. He's doing book research. Uh, so other scientists, if a scientist came to you and like, I got a theory. What if we could make plants grow money? And you're like, oh my god, that's fucking great. Do you have any idea? Nope. But be really good <laughs> if we could do that. Let's and then and then, like they just spent their day like scanning plants. Would you think that they were onto something, or <laughs> and that like if if they that like abandoning that dream would be a big deal for them? Where where are you at with that? I I'd have to you know check their model and you know see how they plan to verify that hypothesis. Uh. I'm healthfully, healthfully skeptical <laughs> at this at that point. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think maybe we should talk about the opening because I think the opening is I think my favorite opening of any zombie movie ever. Very iconic. Um, very iconic. And I think that's where the score really shines is it has this like building uh, power and this building tension, and it's just like thrumming as their desperateness gets higher. 
Also, we get to see uh, what the world looks like in a broader sense years after the collapse. So this is a like Dawn of the Dead was like, what, a few months fresh? Yeah. He, here's a here's a thing that I've learned about myself through watching movies. Uh, I like seeing uh, towns and cityscapes uh, abandoned. Don't know why. Me too. But Vanilla Sky, 28 Days Later. Um, it's the best part of I Am Legend. By yeah, far. just this 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 watching scenes of like, here's where people used to be and they're not anymore. <laughs> and what that looks like. I don't know. It's just some weird part of my brain that I'm like, I could watch this for hours. Uh, the beginning also kicks off what uh, is, I think, indicative of the movie, which is the beginning has one of the most impressive zombies George has ever put together. Yeah. In terms oh, of the tongue one. The tongue one is absurdly cool looking. And that's Tom Savini, I think. He is that said. actually Tom Savini? Yeah, he's like buried in makeup, but I think that's him. It's is what he said. It's so incredible. Uh, it is so amazingly creepy. It clearly took a ton of time because it's basically like the titular zombie. Like it shows up right for the title card. And there's a ton of really impressive special effects in this. This is by far, I think, George's grossest movie because Land of the Dead would maybe take the, the title because it has some really gross shit. But Land of the Dead also has uh, some um, CGI, CGI zombies. This, so it lessens the impact. Yeah, it lessens the impact. Though it has lots of great practical effects. Um, we'll get to that next week, obviously. But the the, the there's some really gross special uh, practical effects in this. You were talking earlier, Dustin, about a certain zombie whose head's getting torn off and he's just screaming the whole time. Yeah. That rattled me. Like, I know it's, like, weird that his voice changes pitch. I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be them trying to imitate what would happen if you're... you're if your st- vocal cords are getting stretched, I think, is the logic behind it. It is. If for some reason, uh, zombie stuff, most horror stuff doesn't rattle me in terms of gore. For some reason, that scream that just gets rawer and higher until it just stops dead is like, ugh. And the fact that the head is still moving just really gives me the willies. Yeah, and they do that shit twice, essentially, too, because the pulling people apart and, like, ripping parts of them, because that's how the uh, the colonel or whatever dies as well. Very good uh, color variation on yeah. the zombies, too, as well as the gore effects. Such better makeup than at Dawn of the Dead. I'm kind of upset that we were looking through the old nominations and kind of disappointed that it didn't get nominated for best makeup effects, but it did win a Saturn, apparently. It, it, lo- it lost to Mask, of all things. Yeah. Well, it wasn't nominated, but Mask is what got <laughs> Well, everything lost to Mask then. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> well, true, okay. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, everybody except me lost that quiz in the world. Because only I won. <laughs> you know in a movie where someone... Um, one of the great horror gags is when someone gets, uh, you know, like slammed in the head with a knife or gets shot in the head or whatever, and they don't realize they're dead. And they say something like, does it smell funny in here? Or they say something like, is it cold? Or they say something completely seemingly. Have I got something here? Yeah. It, irrelevant. Like in or- Delicatessen, that's one of the, that creeps me out way more than all the zombies in the world juggling organs is going to. So I think it comes from that creeps me out. That's I agree, Dustin. That and that creeps me out from the same place, which is as a zombie's guts falling out. Is that I'm seeing them and I'm contrasting the fact that they're feeling zero pain with the fact that I'm like 
I'm alive. I know how fucking painful that would be. And it is incredibly pain. It is incredibly creepy for me to think like, oh, so they don't even feel their jaw, huh? Like th- that is so alienating to me. The idea like they don't they don't even feel pain. I do think it's interesting to figure out what specific triggers people have. For some reason, this movie, the guy getting his head torn off and screaming until his voice goes raw and stopping dead is like, oh, yeah. Well, his troubles are over. Yeah. <laughs> so did you care? And now his watch has ended. <laughs> For me, it's kind of the cadre, the amputation cauterization. Yeah. I should be able to say words. <laughs> that was what uh, triggered me I was, most. I didn't like oh, when that, they were running out of food. I got really <laughs> hungry. Yeah, Aaron sometimes needs snacks. Um, yeah. Every now and then, Aaron's like, oh, I'm feeling a little peckish. And I'm like, Aaron, you should have a snack. And he's like, I will have one. Imagine and then I go out in the cabinet. street and I yell, salty! <laughs> Imagine, and nobody says anything back. Nobody runs out to bring him a sleeve. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if I went into my cabinets, because I want a late, late night snack, and some fucking military guy's in my house and puts a gun in my face says, We're running out of supplies! And then does that face for, like, probably a good half hour, because it that guy's got one load! <laughs> Well, there's a little thing called the Fourth Amendment, and that says that I don't have to give you my salties. <laughs> yeah, calmly explain. This is where we're at now. Adam sounds like comic book guy for citing the Constitution. <laughs> I want to become an Alex Jones for snacking. <laughs> the government. I think. Have you seen Alex Jones's butt? Yep, I'm yep, pretty yep. sure he's the Alex Jones of snacking. <laughs> <laughs> there is a guy who is not buying the products he's hawking because <laughs> yeah, because if he ate that worthless health sh- supplement shit, he would be skinnier. He's living on bar pretzels. He's living Fanning on bar pretzels and bacon fat for six years. <laughs> I-, I kind of meant the Third Amendment anyway. To be honest, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. No one caught you. <laughs> I, um, well the third i'll tell you what that third amendment no one fucking talks about it adam so i'm not surprised no. that you well that's because we're, we are de- it says no soldiers shall in time of peace be quartered in any house and we never declare wars anymore so that's why it's not so much a problem but I, I wish there was, like, a NRA for the Third Amendment. <laughs> like, just people that are, like, that, like lobbying, spending millions of dollars, having crazy people in ads. Like, how many times do soldiers come to your door asking if you have an extra cot? Don't let it happen here. And everyone's just like, what the fuck is this? As, and do you... When has that ever happened? It's like, so, and someone who starts the organization just did it because, like, their son, who was a soldier, like, wanted to move back home for a little bit. <laughs> they're like, this is, this is totally against the Third Amendment. I'm going to be nuts forever now. <laughs> it's my tight, tight five on the Third Amendment. <laughs> and, and you got to work in your, um, your, uh, not Randy Savage voice. <laughs> Which it's Slugfast. It's Slugfast <laughs> voice. It's back. It's my it's only, back from the one dad. of my only voices. It needs to be really useful. Um, so. Utilitarian. Uh, what, do we, what do we got left here, Slugboy? I like the movie. I think it's good. Good movie. I think, I think, I think, I think Dustin should like Good it night. more. And Adam likes <laughs> it the perfect amount. 
<laughs> super neither too hot nor too cold. <laughs> super <laughs> frustrating. Adam's the Goldilocks of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I actually, I, I actually think it's perfect. I'm kind of glad that um, Dustin was so vocally. Um, uh, I was going to say confused by the movie because we had different interpretations, but that's not fair. So I'm going to take that out and just say I'm glad that I'm glad that Dustin was had a differing opinion because one thing we we I kind of allude to in Robert Roger Ebert's review who he really did like Dawn. This movie to this day is really um, it, 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 mixed. It seems like there's a mixed opinion about it still. Yeah, like maybe it's had a little bit of revival, but it's not all the way up to classic. I think in the general. Con- census yeah it has a lot of it has a lot of defenders there's a lot of people that always thought it was great thought it was a good completion to the trilogy and there's a lot of people who you know dustin you you represent a pretty big contingent of romero fans i feel like that never felt this movie really lived up to the first two um and kind of was a was a retread and and i don't know if the movie i think the movie is going to stay this nice little cult movie that's attached to the other movies because i think it does get more powerful in the context of watching them all together i don't know if it's going to gain any more um notoriety simply because it is such a hard watch it's not it's fun so, it's so bleak stuff like Goonies will never go away, even though people hate, like, a lot of people hate it. That's because Goonies, Goonies are, never say die, right? Because Goonies never say die. Uh, because Goonies is fun. So, like, even if it's a bad movie, it is fun. So people will continue to cling to it for a very, very long time. Because, like, you might not like it, you might not love it, but at least you, like, won't have to engage with it when you're watching. In this movie, you either have to, like, engage, you have to engage with it. You either have to, like, love it or hate it, I think, because it is such a aggressive watch there's yelling and depression and there's nothing to really cling on to there's no like audience identification characters just be like you guys need to smoke a joint like that guy is like partly in the movie and then comes to be the hero in the third act (laughs) he is not like running through the movie as our hero he's like a dude who like kind of gets really introduced towards the end of the second act that's uh that makes it a hard sell for some people, but I think it's uh if you love the previous two movies, you definitely have to check it out, and especially if you have a stomach for the nihilism, especially as Aaron pointed out, the nihilism of our age matches this movie. Um, oh, Adam had another thing about sort of the layout of the base that he had issues with. It wasn't too extreme. It was just trying to again figure out okay if the zombies are coming from here, where are they in relation to X? Can they get to how do they get the, to the helicopter? The helicopter, that type of thing. If but, the if the zombies are coming from the sort of lift point, where does that mean the missile exit is and that sort of thing? Adam Adam never really felt that was laid out very well. It, it's like our geography thing with Funhouse. That it, it's kind of hard to tell where everything is in relation to everything else. Yeah, which I think parts of Funhouse are supposed to be, that's supposed to be on purpose. So I think Funhouse is like supposed to confuse you. I don't know if this, I feel like this movie could have used a conjuring style, a conjuring walk style. Through. Yeah. Walk through where you're like, you kind of get to figure out where stuff is. And like, uh, it, it would help sell the fact that in the third act, they basically have to go find another way out of the base, which it totally makes oh. sense. There would be other ways out of the base, right? Cause it's not a yeah. base. It's a parking structure or a storage structure. It, it's uh, yeah. It's a missile it actually turns out to be like a missile thing yeah and it's not like that that doesn't mean you know you have one you would not rely on one hydraulic lift to get out of there um i don't know why there aren't stairs right next to the hydraulic lift that seems like a huge fire safety issue um 
But yeah, I, I, I could have used a Conjuring style little sequence where we get to see where everything is. Oh, that's another thing. They should have found somebody at that thing at the beginning, because that that is reason to, for the civilians to like, hey, that's nice. We found another person, and the soldiers are like, well, we great. We're gonna run out of supplies even faster, <laughs> and they could like show the new person around and. That you establish the ecology of the place, and maybe that's the person who gets killed at the end. Oh, no, who gets shot by Rhodes? That's the person who gets taken hostage. So that's the signal to Sarah. Nope, no hope here. Gotta leave. So I'm you, abandoning this. So you want kind of so, yeah. like a Luke Skywalker type character in your in Day of the Dead, and then you want him to get well, murdered. He, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, but th- I mean, this is like the the audience viewpoint character that's like the excuse for the that's like an excuse for them to say where everything is. It doesn't make sense to me that Sarah didn't know about the Ritz until they told her about it because well, maybe she wasn't uh-oh. blue before, <laughs> so she didn't have to go where fashion sits. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, so uh, I. I think we could do some final thoughts here because there's as for as much as I um I really like this movie, it feels like it moves by kind of fast. It's like there's there's a good hour of just everything that we've kind of talked about and then chaos erupts and the movies and the movie's over. It does it does what it's setting out to do, I think, very well, but it doesn't have a lot of subplots, it doesn't have a lot of other things going on besides besides what you see on screen, which is military versus scientists. No one has any fucking answer. The world's ending. Peter and um, Dustin Adam, uh, we're going to do Land next week, which is obviously the final official ending of this series uh, before he kind of rebooted it with Diary in 2005 that came out 20 years later. I don't know if you guys have seen Land – but which one do you think is a a better uh, is a more thematically appropriate ending to his trilogy or his movies? I I like the ending to Dawn, <laughs> <laughs> the boat, the secret <laughs> third option. <laughs> have you, right, have uh, you seen Land, Dustin? I don't remember the ending. Uh, well. I get, I don't remember precisely what's happening. I know that it basically. Well, let's not let's not say. Does, sorry, like, so I didn't actually I mean like the ending of the movie. I mean, which movie do you feel is more thematically appropriate ending to uh to his to his dead series? Day, absolutely. I'm leaning towards day two, although I'm also a little. It's been a while since I've seen Land, so I'm. Easy there. I think Land is deeply improved by time. I think that there's like a few CGI zombie shots that really have not aged well, but I think Land has been improved by time, especially when it came out. It was like this war on terror movie. Yeah. I think Day, but I think Day is probably a better end of the series because I feel like it's addressing those problems. It's addressing the problems of the previous two movies more directly than Land is. Land is kind of even further elaborating on uh, what he's already said before, but in his own new politically angry way. So he's like engaging with... Day doesn't feel like it's engaging with the issues of the 80s as much as Dawn and Land are. So I think Day feels like a nice capper on the series because it's more insular. Yeah, I agree. I this this really feels like the end to what he started in Night, and I would argue it is kind of a – it might not be a perfect movie like those two uh, first entries, but I do think it's a perfect capper to his series before he tries some other things uh, with Land, Diary, and Survival. 
And as you can tell from our coverage, only one of those is probably really worth talking about. So anyway, time for the ending plugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you guys so much for coming on uh, this is so again. Fun. Uh, yeah, I love I love this. Like it's, it's like our quarterly reviews where we have the Koski <laughs> brothers on. Uh, so I'm excited to see you guys next quarter as well. We'll get you the material as soon as we have it. What are you guys working on in the meantime? We are working on a podcast called The Vanishing Point. It's an anthology show that tries to present situ to present normal people put into situations that are paranormal and they don't really have information and they try to find answers and survive very trying circumstances, sometimes by keeping their moral morals intact, sometimes by not. You can find the Vanishing Point podcast by searching up for it on iTunes and Libsyn. And I'll say I listened to the first episode. Um, no hyperbole. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Thank I'm you. Not a, I'm not a huge uh, narrative podcast guy in general. And I was pretty hooked at about like 10, 15 minutes in to the point that I sent Dustin a message saying, please send me uh, more episodes as soon as possible uh, because I am very, very curious as to where it's going. And I'll cut this out if this isn't true anymore. But I believe you guys were planning to do something uh, with a with a book release of, of these stories as well? We have a book that we have written a manuscript, and we're hoping that with the Vanishing Point podcast, we can get our names out there enough that we can attract an agent to sell our book. Excellent. Uh, so I definitely go check that out, because I really want to read uh, that book. The, manus the manuscript is a novel. I think I've sent it to Peter already, didn't I? Yeah. Yes, you did. It's called Not Meant to Know. Yes, I have that on my uh, tablet. I just have to read it. So if you want to read okay. that, go to Peter's house and murder him. <laughs> Take yeah. his tablet or listen to The Vanishing Point and, uh, and help Podcast. get that bad boy published. I really like it and I really like what you guys are doing. So, yeah. Rock on, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, 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 <laughs> Peter, uh, now uh, we have one more episode uh, for Marrow Month. It is Land of the Dead. <laughs> it is. I don't know. I didn't know if I was going to restart this because I didn't know where I was going with it or I'm just going to plug ahead. Peter, let's vote. Type in on your tablet. Press star for we just keep going with this plug. Uh, the pound side with we start over and uh, do our own plugs better. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, we, yeah, we're wrapping up, though, with Land of the Dead. I'm very excited to revisit that one. It's been, like, probably, like, ten years, so I, uh, I'm i I'm excited to watch it. And then next month, as voted on by you, the listener, uh, we are doing uh, a very Shane Black Christmas. And we will be doing uh, Lethal Weapon with Zach Groton, Iron Man 3 with Douglas Lamont, uh, which I cannot think of a better uh, fusion of guest and movie than that. Uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I shot you down. Bang Bang, you hit the ground. Bang Bang. That awful sound. Bang Bang. I just need you to end. Didn't you end the last episode you were on? By no, saying? that was Phantom of the Paradise, but like I think about that more often than I should. <laughs> uh, like, because an unhealthy amount of, of him transitioning from talking to singing to then with the editing into the actual song because I was listening to that album recently and like I thought of Dustin for most of the album and <laughs> I don't know how unhealthy that is 
But that's where I'm at in my personal life. How are you guys? No, you when you that thought Dustin about it, makes you feel good. Yeah, Dustin makes me feel good. When you thought of when you thought of it, were you like one of those um, Beatles fans from the news footage where they're like, ah? <laughs> I was thinking he was more like Bob when he has the Walkman on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, can we can we go do another forty five minutes on Bob? We spent like time talking about Bob. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Bob got sidelined so hardcore in this episode oh well apologies to bub we'll be back for bub talk 2018 (laughs) uh bub is a force of nature and uh goes to show how characters that can't talk and seem like children or animals gain automatic sympathy even if they don't necessarily deserve it good night (laughs) good night oh so so aaron yeah, are we actually? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Done? I haven't stopped yet. I'm seeing where this okay. is going. Yeah, let's just let's just Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.